A couple weeks ago, I was listening to a podcast that was interviewing a woman by the name of Angela Duckworth. And Angela looks at things like failure and how can we learn from failure. But she also wrote a book called Grit about how we do that, how, how we have grit to make it through life's trials and tribulations. And she talked about the importance of trying new things, that we just keep, we try all these new things, and how we should set audacious goals. You know those goals that are just out of your reach, that you may not actually make, but you're still gonna try for it. Like there's something important that happens in our mind and our spirit when we try these new things. So I got really excited about setting audacious goals. What are my audacious goals gonna be? I don't know, what could it be? What can I not try? I love trying new things, what is it gonna be? And then a few days later, I was hearing other folks say and talk about the reality of how exhausted we are as a world that we have gone through quite a bit these last 14 months and we are just exhausted. In fact, our bishop just named that in a meeting I was at where he's hearing that from people, how tired we are. And I thought, yeah, I'm too tired <laughs> to set audacious goals. But then I had to look some words up because that's what I do. I'm like, well, what is audacious mean anyways? It means showing a willingness to take surprisingly bold risks. I thought, oh, that sounds like something I'd like to do. And then someone defined exhaustion recently as something you can't really rest from. Like there's something deeper about exhaustion than just tiredness. And the part of my soul that's tired, is exhausted, was like, Right, that explains why I'm still exhausted, even though I'm getting good sleep. I imagine the people that Ezekiel is talking about, the video that we saw that read from Ezekiel, were that same way. These were people who were in exile in Babylon for the first time. And by this point in Ezekiel's story, they've seen their political and religious leaders taken away to Babylon. Jerusalem has fallen. And their king, whom was set up by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, his name was Zedekiah, his whole family is killed in front of him, and then he is blinded and taken to Babylon, and we never hear about him again. It would not be outside the realm of possibility that these people would have wept by the waters of Babylon. They were exhausted and dried up. And then God comes to Ezekiel, the prophet among them, who is most likely in Babylon, and leads him to a valley of the driest bones you have ever seen. Think about bones left out on the salt flats of Death Valley, right? That kind of dry. And God speaks audacious words to Ezekiel. Ezekiel is looking around him and I'm sure wondering what's going on. Especially when God asks the question, mortal, can these bones live? You know, the book of Ezekiel is all about reminding the people that God is holy beyond their or our understanding and control. That God is bigger than they can imagine. That God is audacious in God's actions. So it is no mistake that God addresses Ezekiel as mortal, setting up very clearly 
these two different ways of looking at this valley of dry bones. Mortal, can these bones live? I'm sure Ezekiel is thinking, no, no, they cannot, because they are very, very dry. They're just bones. They cannot live. But also thinking, what audacious thing does God know that we do not know? Because he doesn't answer. He says, oh God, you know. Because our God, the God Ezekiel knew, the God all of his ancestors knew, all of our ancestors knew, is an audacious God. So Ezekiel knows God is about to and already has included the mortals in exile in that audaciousness. That God is about to speak a word of promise that is going to blow their minds and give them hope. And God includes us in that audaciousness as well. And how does God do that? God does that with breath. Sure, there were sinews and skin and such, but what is incredible is when they start breathing. That's how we know they are alive, when they are brought to life with God's breath. In fact, in this reading from Ezekiel, God promises something about breath five different times. He says, I will cause breath to enter you. I will put breath in you and you shall live. Which, by the way, in that word breath that he uses right there is only used one other time in all of scriptures. And that's when Jesus appears to the disciples after his resurrection and breathes the spirit upon them. And then God says to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath and calls the four winds to come forth and be the breath and then tells them to breathe on the bones so that they may live. And then one last moment when he talks about the breath, God says to Ezekiel to say to the people of Israel, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And that is the image of the Holy Spirit that we need to hold on to. The one who brings us life. So spirit in the Old Testament is ruach. And ruach is something that lives. It is the breath of God breathed into us from the very beginning as evidenced in Genesis. As our very breath then, God is closer than we have ever really comprehended as the psalmist describes in Psalm 139. Ruach also describes the palpable way that people experience the irresistible force of the creator's power. So God in scripture appears as wind and thunder and fire. But the other thing that we don't often hear about when it comes to ruach is that it is related to the word riwach, which means breadth. So when we talk about ruach, it creates space. It sets things in motion. It leads us. It is life itself which makes perfect sense because when we talk about when we breathe life into something, it's to transform it, right? To change it, to make it new. I will put my spirit within you, God says, and you shall live. 
But this wasn't a magic elixir to make the pain and the exhaustion of exile go away. But the Holy Spirit made room for all of that, the pain, the exhaustion, the hope, and the joy of the return, which is exactly what Jesus describes the Spirit to be, that will breathe life into us to his disciples that night before he died. Jesus talks about the Spirit as the advocate, the one who will speak up for us, who will intercede with sighs too deep for words, who will be our voice when we can't find the words, who will breathe life into words that need to be spoken. And this Spirit is the Spirit of truth from God, standing up for us as we testify to who Jesus is and what that means for our lives the spirit of truth that will stand beside us as we wade into uncomfortable and uncharted waters, especially now when we disagree with one another about so many different things. The spirit is with us and in us as we walk through these ways. And Jesus, as he's speaking to his disciples, lets them know that he is making room for the spirit And that is why he needs to leave. In his death and resurrection, space is made for the disciples to flourish, to grieve, to get it wrong, and to do amazing things, which I found so profound that Jesus leaves to make space for us, for them to be all that God could be, these ones, these dried up bones that was breathed life into. And then Jesus says, go and do that, be life. We too are guided into this truth, that love has come to us in unexpected ways in the person of Jesus Christ. Just like those in exile who heard those words of life, we hear them through Jesus who dies and rises for us and then breathes new life into us. So we here follow the way of love, which also makes room. It makes room for all to be welcome, even among our differences. So room is made within us and outside us. For months now, probably months, we've been pondering what it means to be a congregation that says all are welcome. And I don't think it means that we aren't without our differences or our conflicts. But what it does mean is that we allow the Spirit of God to breathe life into us as we work our way through those conflicts, through those disagreements to build in us bonds stronger than those things, to enliven our bones as we work for the sake of the world. Because we live in a truth. We live in the expansive and audacious love of God that changes the world in ways we can't even imagine, but that we are a part of. It would be so much easier for us if God just took us out of the equation and we just got to live in the beautiful world that God created. 
But that's the part, that's part of the audaciousness of God, that God says to each and every one of us, you are part of my work here in this world. What? Me? Frail human that I am? Okay. Can these bones live? Our answer would be like what Ezekiel's answer would be, that he was too smart to say, no. No, they cannot. And God simply says, hold my coffee. Watch what I can do with you who dare to believe in my love. So friends, let's make room. Let's make room for dead bones to come alive again. Room for exhaustion and pain and disagreement and joy and hope and grace and love. Then these dry bones will live. Amen.